News is coming in from Ephesus that riots are threatening to break out in a dispute with local tradesmen. Let's go to our Turkish correspondent, Don Nukabab, for the latest on this kerfuffle. Thank you, Hugh. I'm standing outside a theatre in Ephesus where angry crowds are gathering in protest against the growing popularity in the area of a Jewish sect called The Way. Though I do understand they are now going by the name Christians. Led by a former Pharisee called Paul, a group of Christians have been preaching about a man called Jesus and have gathered quite a following in a short amount of time. But this is more than a passing interest. In fact, just the other day, a huge quantity of valuable magic books were publicly burnt as a declaration of their newfound faith in Jesus. Interestingly, this religious fervency has been detrimental on local tradesmen, particularly silversmiths who manufacture silver shrines for the goddess of the city, Artemis, making a booming profit from the tourism trade. Earlier, I interviewed trade unionist and silversmith Demetrius about this threat to his livelihood. If this pernicious faith continues growing, they will take away everything that makes this place special. People, they come from all over to see the Temple of Artemis and worship at her shrine. She's the people's goddess and we must preserve her. Why are these Christians and their message such a threat to the citizens of this city? They threaten our fundamental human rights. Now, I know the goddess hasn't answered any of our prayers or actually done anything at all, but she's our goddess and it's our human right to make little statues of her. As you can hear, tempers are at straining point, and this could escalate quickly, though I understand that the town clerk is now trying to calm down the crowd. Hopefully, he will succeed. Back to the studio. Well, this news comes as no surprise as these Christians have been making waves throughout Jerusalem, Samaria and beyond. We hope to bring you an exclusive interview with one of their main leaders, Paul, next week. So, stay tuned. I think it's pretty good. I think you could do it. Right, come on up, Neil. Who's going to speak to us from the Lord's Word today? I'm going to pray for him as he gets himself prepped. Heavenly Father, thank you for Neil. All he does at this church, um, all he does in his life to everybody. We just pray that in this moment you give him the gifts he needs um, to deliver what he's prepared, and we trust that you have helped him in his prep. Lord, help us to have open hearts, open ears to hear what your message is to us today so that we can leave this place better than when we arrived. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Daz. Good morning to those in the room, those watching online, and so I'd like to say good day to those that are watching on Catch Up. Today is the third in our series entitled New Cycle, where we're taking a look at events that happened 2,000 years ago in the early church, and we're seeing what they have to say to us in 2022. What happened is recorded in the book of Acts, written by a chap called Luke. Um, his first book was called Luke. Um, and, and it records, the book of Acts records what happened after Jesus died and was resurrected. It starts with his ascension to heaven and then records the day that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in great power. 
Now, the suggestion has been made to the church at the beginning of this month that you might like to read a chapter a day of the book of Acts. And, um, and in 28 chapters, you'd get through the whole lot by the end of the month. I wonder how you're doing. Um, if you're behind, don't worry. Um, just keep going. Um, if you missed the message and you haven't started, well, it's actually only the middle of the month, roughly. So if you read two chapters a day, you might still do it. It would be good if as many of us as possible read as much as possible about the book of Acts. And if you have read any of it, if you've made a start, then you will have come across the verse that, to my mind, gives meaning to the other 1,006 verses in the book of Acts. And that verse is this, and it says in chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was a message from Jesus to the early disciples or Jesus followers in roughly the year, I don't know, AD 33, I guess, or thereabouts. And it's still the same message for Christians or Jesus followers in Hawley or wherever you're watching from in 2000. And 22. And the message comes in two parts. There's a sort of a chain reaction. The first part is you will receive the Holy Spirit. The second part is you will be my witnesses in the local town, which then was Jerusalem, in the surrounding area, to the people that are not like you and you may not even like, the Samaritans, and indeed to everyone. Now, the book of Acts is written roughly in two halves. In the first part, we follow um, a chap called Peter. And in the first two episodes of this series, we followed him. And firstly, he um, met a lame beggar and healed him. And last week, we looked at the story about him receiving this vision um, that told him that the gospel of Jesus is not just for the Jews, but is for everyone. If you missed either of those, um, you can look at the HBC YouTube channel and catch up. And now we move into the second part of the book of Acts, and, we, and the attention turns to a chap called Paul, uh, formerly a person who was in direct opposition to the early Christian church. Indeed, it's recorded that he held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen, the first recorded Christian martyr. If you're reading it, you'll have read it in chapter 7. But Paul has a Damascus Road experience, literally, Read about it in chapter 9. And now we catch up with him a number of years later on his third world tour. Well, he's gone to Greece, Turkey, Syria, and around there. But probably for him, that probably was as much of the world that was known. Anyway, Paul has taken to heart the instruction very much about telling people everywhere the good news of Jesus. In his first trip, among other places, he went to Cyprus, now, I actually went to holiday to Cyprus this year, um, and you actually go, and I stayed in Paphos, which is where Paul stayed. And you can actually go to a place um, where there's a pillar that they say that Paul was actually tied to and was beaten. Now, whether that actually is the case or not. But you, you, amazing, you can go to a place where Paul went to. And in his second trip, he went to loads of places. Um, read about it in chapter 16. And if you are reading through the book, um, you'll read that he finished with a short stay in a place called Ephesus, a big city that is now in modern-day Turkey. 
And now we're going to actually look at our story in chapter 19. And he's back in Ephesus, and he's actually been there for two and a half years, originally preaching the gospel in the synagogue, but when he got kicked out of there, he moves on to the lecture hall in the city. But before we go any further in the story, I've got a question for you, and it's this. Have you ever done something you didn't want to do? Or more importantly, have you not done something that you did want to do or you should have done because you were worried about other people's reactions? Let me read that again for you. I've got a question for you. Have you done something that you didn't want to do? Or perhaps have you not done something that you did want to do or you should have done because you were worried about other people's reaction? The answer is, almost undoubtedly, yes. If you're a parent, it may be that when your kids wanted to go onto a roller coaster and you really didn't, but you thought, well, I need to go. Or maybe in a work situation, everybody in the office is going down the pub and you feel duty-bound as part of the team to go down the pub with them when you really know the best thing is to go home. It happens to us all the time. If we have a partner, child, parents, close friends, actually it should happen to us. We should think about the reactions of those close to us, but before we make a decision. I asked my house group this week if they could think of a time when they didn't do something they wanted to do because of what people's reactions may be. And they struggled, I have to say. One of them, who will remain nameless, suggested that she or he may wear other clothes that are in her, his wardrobe, but actually she's worried about what you lot might think, and therefore they stay in the wardrobe. And you may be struggling to think of something that you wanted to do or you should have done, and that's probably because we just justify it to ourselves that actually it was the best thing not to do, and we move on. There's certainly been times in my life where I have bottled it. But the ones I remember is when I did actually sum up the courage to do what I really wanted to do. It's going to sound pathetic to all of you, um, but let me quickly tell you about um, our house, if anybody's been to our house, is a house full of extensions. It started off with quite a very small semi, and it's just got bigger and bigger. And when Angie and I were looking to do the very first extension, it not involved knocking down a small standalone garage and putting on the side of our house big sort of two-storey extension. Um, and that involved going very close to our neighbours at number one. Um, now, the neighbours at number one had a big sort of fence to us. We didn't know them very well. But what I saw of him was a sort of old retired colonel type, I guess, and his wife. And I was very nervous about going to him. I knew I couldn't just put in planning. I had to go and see my neighbour because my extension was going to go right up close to his property. And in fact, for the builders to do it, they'd probably have to take the fence down between our houses and actually probably go onto his land to get all his equipment through. So I put off going to see him because I didn't fancy the reaction that I thought I would get. I even suggested to Angie that she might like to go and knock on the door. Not a coward at all. Long story short, um, we did go and invite the neighbours around. We opened a bottle of wine. We showed them the plans and waited for their reaction, which was, of course you must build it. You must do it. You have a young family. You'll need the room. In fact, Angie and I were both at work at that time, and um, the wife, the lady, um, made the builder's tea for them whilst they built the extension. Now, if I'm being honest, I guess I actually worked out the pros and cons of the situation. 
I worked out that by not speaking to them, the extension was never going to get built. I had to be brave and go and speak to them. So in all honesty, there was no risk there at all. And as humans, we tend to do that all the time. We weigh up the pros and the cons. We assess, we assess the risk. We assess particularly our reputational risk. And Jesus made um, comment on it when he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. There's a few verses from Luke chapter 14. And does this sound like you? Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, anyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with his 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. And Jesus goes on to say that if we're his disciples, we need to be willing to give up anything that comes between us and God. But the natural human reaction is, I will do something if it's going to benefit me. If I'm going to be out of pocket, be less popular, be well less thought of, have less time in my day, be embarrassed, in fact, anything that upsets my happy place, then there's every chance I'm going to say no. I wonder if that's you. I have to say it's often me. Now, with these thoughts in the mind, let's return back to our story, which we, were, which we heard in that reported news bulletin. Paul is in Ephesus, and he's telling everyone about the good news of Jesus, and this transformation message is... Well, it's transforming lives. We read about sorcerers that have burnt their books. And the Bible tells us that they were worth 130 years worth of wages. Three or four million quid, I guess, in today's term. People are actually being transformed. Let's pick up the story in chapter 19 and verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way the Christians. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, which brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trade and said, you know, my friends, that we, we receive a good income from this business. And you will see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically in the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great god Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seemed gaseous and art. Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some people were shouting one thing, some people another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. 
The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple, the great Artemis, of her image which is fallen from heaven? And he then manages to dismiss the crowd. Now Artemis was the great mother goddess. Copies of her statue have been excavated from all around what was the Roman Empire. If you're very intelligent and you're very good at quizzes, you will know that the Temple of Artemis is one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. Suffice to say, she was very popular. She was a huge deal in the area. And Demetrius and his fellow metal workers were obviously less than impressed when their very lucrative work was drying up as people were stopping worshipping Artemis and starting to follow Jesus. Now let's see what Paul's, Paul is like in his decision-making as he weighs the pros and cons and worrying about people's reactions and particularly when it comes to talking about Jesus. In verse 26, Demetrius, Demetrius is talking. And now you see this fellow Paul is convinced and led large astray led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Well done, Paul. Really subtle. I don't know about it, but if we brought that up to date, it's a bit like saying your wealth, your status, your security, your power, your celebrity, and I would even suggest your peace and quiet. Indeed, anything that you place importance on or you really desire or has become really important in your life is not important at all. And the fact is the message that Jesus brings is far more controversial than we think. The good news of Jesus is, as I've said, transformational. It changes lives, sometimes dramatically, sometimes less so, but always always for the better. Let's go back to our passage. Some of the city was in uproar. The people seized Gatius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed to the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. You see, it's all beginning to kick off a little bit, and where does Paul want to be? Yep, right in the thick of it. He sees this as another opportunity to go and tell people about Jesus. There seems to be a deliberate not weighing up of pros and cons. There seems to be a deliberate not thinking, is this good for me? And we read that it's his friends that have to curb his enthusiasm and beg him not to go into the meeting. One assumes for his own safety. And eventually the city clerk come, comes in and calms people down and order is restored. Now I guess we probably live in a time now where it's probably, um, people have the attitude that you can do your thing, just don't bother me. We don't have commotions in Hawley regarding people's faith. But then I ask myself, and you might like to ask yourself as well, have I got too good 
at counting the cost to me? Do I worry about other people's reactions before I share what Jesus means to me and what difference he's made in my life? Do I water down that transformational message of the gospel and prefer to talk about the church and the good things that go on here? And of course, the church, not this one, I hasten to add, has a pretty checkered past, whereas the person of Christ changes life. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting we go to stand on street corners and start shouting, you're all sinners. I think there are much better ways for us to share the gospel. In fact, I think actually there are a few worse ways. But if you are a Jesus follower, a Christian, can you think back, if you can, and recall the person that told you the message of hope found in the person of Jesus? And if you're a person who would not describe yourself as a Christian, can I suggest you go and find someone that is, put them on the spot and ask them to explain to you what difference it means being a Christian. At our last church meeting, there's a quick advert coming here. Um, we'd love to see everybody at church meetings. Um, they only happen every three months. And um, one before last, we talked about spacing Sunday morning and um, watch the next month or two because we have plans to make things a little bit easier there. But this last church meeting that happened in September, we talked about church growth and what as a church we can do, and what as individuals we can do to share the good news of Jesus. Now, the fact is we are not all Pauls. I think it's probably quite a good thing. Um, we don't have his personality, and that's fine. But we are all called to be witnesses. In fact, if you read that verse, we're not called to be witnesses. We are witnesses. We can just be really good ones or not such good ones. And perhaps the time has come for us to consider how we can do that better. Maybe we can take a small first step. Um, we just all notice there's about 53 things happening at this church um, in the next few months. Um, why not invite a friend to go bowling with, come to the games night with? In November, there's going to be a quiz night. It wasn't even up there. Um, we have carols in the car park. We have a fantastic carol service. New Year, we're looking to run an alpha course. Every Thursday, we have colour wheel, a sort of coffee morning lunch thing. Um, why not come along to that and chat to the people that come here? But before we run away with all the things that we could do or maybe we should do, let's just remember that chain reaction. And being witnesses is the second part of the chain reaction. More importantly, we need to start with the beginning of that verse one. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to spend a little less time counting the cost of our actions, a little less time weighing up the pros and cons, a little less time worrying about what other people may say, and simply allow the Holy Spirit to lead us as to what we say, to whom, and we went and when. And as I come to an end, I was challenged by a lady who recently said the following, Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. It's my heartfelt prayer that, we, that you will be supported by your faith in times of trial and encouraged by hopes in times of despair. Now, she was able to speak to nine million people in one go because she was the queen. The fact is we are not Paul, 
we're not the queen or the king, but if we are a Christian, we have the same Holy Spirit that guarded their lives. And one final story, almost about a time when I did bottle it, but funny enough, I remember it because it was something that I actually got right for once in my life. For those of you who are old enough, and I appreciate a lot of you probably aren't, um, in 1985, there was what was called Mission to London, and a chap called Lewis Plough was running these big rally meetings in QPR football ground. And the church that I was going to at the time was running a coach up to this rally at QPR football ground. And I had a work colleague who, from the odd conversation I'd had with him, and it had been very short, I thought there was this vague possibility that he might be interested in going with his wife. But what would he think of me? Pushy, perhaps? Religious nut, perhaps? Would it dent our friendship? And even worse, if I did invite him and he did go and he hated it, then what would he be? What if, what if? And I remember the occasion, and I put it off, and I put it off till about two days before the event. And I did phone him up and say, um, I don't know if you and your wife would like to go to this event. It's blah, 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 blah. And, um, and they did come. And they were challenged. And they did go forward. I sometimes wonder what would have happened if I'd listened to that other voice in my head, if the pros and the cons, if I'd worried about my friendship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit that works within us. Father, we thank you that we are your witnesses at our home, in Hawley, wherever we go. Father, we just pray that you will lead us in what we do and what we say. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got some questions for you. From whom did you hear about the good news of Jesus? What possible barriers did that person overcome to tell you? Do you worry how people may react when you share the transformational message of the gospel? How does this affect the way you live your life? The Holy Spirit has been sent to lead and guide us. How will you allow him to work in your life?